Picture your immune system, and you probably picture it in battle. Your immune system, led by your noble white blood cells, versus bad bacteria and evil viruses. But when you think about it, most of us are sick only a few days a year. And this means your immune system isn't always at war. In fact, usually it's not. Almost all studies in immunology are based on a very activated immune response. But it turns out that most of the time, in fact, the vast majority of the time, the immune system is in its so-called resting or quiescent state. Uh, it is simply in a uh, surveillance mode, and we barely have scratched the surface as to what the architecture and regulation of such a quiet system might be. That's Fred Tauber, a philosopher, historian, and scientist who spent decades studying how the immune system works. In this episode, we're focusing on the immune system. We're going to talk about how it defends our bodies and keeps us from getting sick. But we're also going to talk about what our immune systems are doing when we're not sick, and that is going to make us ask some tough questions. Like, how does our immune system distinguish between us, our own human cells, and everything else, considering that our bodies are covered with trillions of other kinds of cells? I'm Marty Martin. And I'm Art Woods. And you're listening to Big Biology. Okay, let's start with a typical view of the immune system. Pretend you're barefoot, walking through the grass, and suddenly you step on a rusty nail. If you could zoom in on your wound, what you'd see is the start of a kind of battle between your immune system and the bacteria introduced by the nail. The first responders come from what's called your innate immune system, and it's the cells of this system that destroy the invaders. When those cells catch the bacteria, they swallow them whole or blast them into oblivion. Some kinds of bacteria are pretty sly when it comes to dodging the immune system, but chordates, which includes vertebrates like ourselves, have developed another, more finely tuned response, which is the adaptive immune system. The cells in the system are more specific to parasites than innate responses. The adaptive immune system is what we exploit when we use vaccines. Vaccines train your immune system to recognize specific parasites by introducing weakened forms of them into your body. It's a bit like sending your immune system to boot camp. So let's go back to that rusty nail. One species of bacteria that lives on rusty nails is called Clostridium tetani, which can do a lot of damage once it enters your body. But if you've already had a tetanus shot, then your immune system is already prepared to deal with it. Here's Fred. So in a, in a sense, they, there's a, a library of, uh, of immune responses uh, to a known set of pathogens. All of the vaccines work on that principle. Uh, the uh, uh, they prime the immune system with uh, the noxious antigens, the ones which will evoke a response. And when the organism appears, voila, the immune system sees it, recognizes it, and destroys. Notice the metaphors we've used so far. Battles, invaders, first responders, boot camp. It's a pretty warlike take on the immune system. It is very interesting. I mean, immunology mm -hmm. is uh, a, a very rich metaphorical science because it cuts so close to our bone, to our very selfhood uh, in the sense of our self-identification. 
One of the consequences of using this war metaphor is that it establishes a perspective rooted in the dichotomy of us versus them. Um, I wrote a book called The Immune Self Theory or Metaphor, and the idea was to show how uh, notions of selfhood were uh, incorporated in immune theory from philosophy and psychology. Uh, And if we regard the clinical scenario of a self, a patient, invaded by another, a pathogen, uh, it becomes a very natural categorization. It becomes extremely easy uh, to identify ourselves as being uh, attacked. And when you're attacked, you need to defend. And a personal identity is easily extrapolated then into the immune response. This approach has shaped the first hundred years or so of research in immunology, but what happens if we question even the very framework of us versus them? Since the 1990s, there have been culture critics, and I'm not talking about bacterial cultures, I'm talking about social cultures, uh, who have used the immune system as a metaphor to describe Western society. And they've made the argument Uh, that the immune system conceived as a defensive system uh, in a metaphorical contest of war with the pathogens uh, is extremely attractive to the American mind, let's just say. Uh, And they argued uh, that, in fact, this represented uh, an aggressive uh, uh, metaphor which was not necessarily correct. And they said, look, The immune system is also tolerant. Uh, It tolerates difference. And so here you have this alternative view of society, which is pluralistic, multicultural, uh, and they were advocating uh, a different use of the immune system as a metaphor of tolerating difference. Tolerance is a very important word in immunity. Uh, It's the idea that the immune system is not attacking the the target, uh, but rather tolerates it in a very uh, uh, benign fashion. And remember, there are more non-human cells in and on our bodies than there are human cells. We surely can't be at war with all of them all the time. It's very important to understand that immunity is a spectrum of responses, leading from tolerance where there's no response whatsoever uh, to a very mild response to an all-out attack. To understand this spectrum, we need to understand how our immune systems interact with parasites, but also with our own cells. The first time a scientist saw an immune system in action, it was in a starfish. The immune cells of the starfish were acting as a kind of arbiter among all the other cells. And it turns out this is one of the immune system's main roles in the bodies of all animals. A Russian embryologist named Eli Mechnikov discovered one important group of immune cells, the phagocytes, for which he later won the Nobel Prize. Shortly after Darwin published Origin of Species, Mechnikov began his embryological investigations, and he was looking at uh, transparent organisms uh, under the microscope. And he saw these phagocytic cells, which I mentioned earlier, uh, roaming around uh, these embryos, and he was fascinated by them. He, he wondered, what, what were they doing? And eventually he figured out that they were, um, as it were, policemen, and as the developing embryo is uh, uh, essentially um, developing from different cell lines, he postulated 
that the phagocyte was maintaining harmony uh, or trying to maintain harmony on these competing cell lines. In other words, Metchnikoff took Darwinian struggle and put it inside the organism. And I'll give you one striking example, and of course there are many. Uh, when the tadpole uh, morphs into a frog, the phagocytes go and eat the tail of the tadpole. So in this context, phagocytes aren't destroyers or killers. Instead, they're sculptors shaping the development of the frog's body. Because the frog won't need its tail on land, phagocytes remove it from the tadpole's body by eating the tail cells. Yeah, it sounds bizarre that phagocytes are killing cells genetically identical to themselves, but what they're really doing is deciding that the frog will be better off tailless. And something similar happens in us. In the womb, we grow webbed fingers and toes, but the cells that make up the webbing get eaten away by phagocytes as we develop. Turns out that extra tissue doesn't go to waste. One of the main jobs of the immune system is to run a kind of cellular recycling program. When cells stop working properly or we no longer need them, our immune system just recycles them. They dissolve the membranes and eat the leftovers. The bodies of most large creatures are literally covered inside and out with microorganisms. For example, humans host about 10 times as many bacterial cells as they do human cells. Now let's take a step back and think about those 39 trillion bacterial cells on each of us. Your own personal community of bacteria is called your microbiome. And our microbiomes help us digest food, keep our organs working well, and even mediate conflicts with potential pathogens. And the immune system uh, is instrumental first in establishing the microbiome. And when I say that, what I mean is that the immune system, through its tolerance, allows these bacteria uh, to reside there unmolested. So this notion of tolerance uh, builds on the idea, an ecological idea, of, of balance. And the immune system uh, is instrumental in maintaining a balance of these uh, myriad species of bacteria uh, in the body. For example, sometimes bacteria that we traditionally think of as harmful can live in our bodies without doing any damage at all. Well, it turns out that if you uh, uh, culture uh, the nose of your children, uh, you will more than likely find Staphylococcus. Uh, staphylococcus uh, normally is a, is a pathogen if it's not under control or in balance with its microenvironment. Uh, but in most cases... Uh, these, uh, these children are going to be completely asymptomatic. And, and what is the immune system actually doing to make them be asymptomatic? Well, it's not clear if the immune system is ignoring them or is simply um, uh, allowing them to uh, reside without uh, incident. So the spectrum of responses uh, is highly variable. Uh, and you can see this very simply uh, uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, someone uh, in the family has a, uh, a bacterial infection. It may well be that uh, the infection will cause an acute illness in one individual, and it will be subclinical in another, mm -hmm. even though the, uh, the pathogen could be cultured. Uh, the variability, the biological variability is extraordinary. According to Fred, the way we've done immunology for most of the last 100 years has missed some major things. He says that immune systems are about more than battles between us and them. 
His claim is that the interplay among organisms is a mix of conflict, cooperation, and just plain old indifference. Defining what is self turns out to be hard. Uh, but the question in terms of humans, uh, biology, what is an individual, is very, very difficult to ascertain. Because we would not be individuals without our microbiome. So how many genomic uh, partners do we need in order to survive? Most scientists continue to study the immune system from the perspective of the war metaphor, but things are beginning to change. In the long episode, which you can find wherever you found this one, you can hear more from Fred about the future of immunology. We also talk more about how our microbiome interacts with other systems in our body and how it can influence major aspects of our day-to-day life. It turns out that the microbiome seems to have some direct effects on neurologic function. Uh, And we're referring to uh, gut bacteria Uh, which uh, secrete uh, uh, various humors which appear uh, to affect mood. Uh, They may affect cognitive abilities and memory. Uh, And this is extraordinary. And it all goes to say that everything's connected to everything else. One of the major things that intrigues Fred are the complex, intimate relationships that have formed among organisms separated by billions of years of evolution. That's billions of years of conflict and cooperation, and our immune system sits at the center of it all. So how do we talk about our own evolution when so many other things are living inside and alongside us? We'll tackle these questions in future episodes, but if you have questions or ideas for topics you'd like to hear us cover, please send us a message through our website, www.bigbiology.org or use Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can get all of our episodes on our website or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Podbean. And if you enjoy what we're doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on the website. Thank you to Jana Wiegan for writing and production help on this episode. And thanks to the rest of the Big Biology team, which includes Matt Blois, our lead producer and writer, Gerard Sapes, who edits our scripts and leads our fundraising efforts, Haley Hansen, Victoria Doloff, and Chloe Ramsey handle our social media channels, and Steve Lane and Roman Boisseau manage our website. Music on today's episode is from Potting to Bear and Three Chain Links. Battle sounds are from Zapsplat.